This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. The topic this afternoon is uh, this whole area, which you're here because you're motivated about the poor. Uh, my wife has uh, been involved, as she will share in a minute, working with the poor in many different ways. And uh, I get the privilege of speaking in many different settings and, and uh, context. And uh, I said when I was speaking at a conference like this last weekend that uh, the person who's inspired me most in terms of building a church which looks after the poor, and we have many, many poor people we help in Bournemouth, is my wife. So uh, I hope you really enjoy her, and let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you. I was just thinking, as an ex-primary teacher, if I run out of things to say, we could do a quick rendition of Who's the King of the Jungle or something like that, can we? <laughs> can we just pray before we start? Lord God, we thank you that we can be here today. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a God who loves us so much. We thank you, Lord God, that you love the rich and the poor the smallest and the greatest. You love us all. And we thank you, Lord, that you want us to have hearts that look out and see a world that is full of hurt and pain and be motivated by the gospel, be motivated by the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this afternoon and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm hoping this might be slightly interactive this afternoon. When uh, I found out I was speaking... It was a bit of a surprise, um, and I said to Guy, my husband, I will never be able to keep going for an hour. And he said, oh, I'm sure you will. And I said, no, I don't think I will be able to speak for an hour. So I am aware that if you have questions, we'll save those to the end, and Guy will come and stand with me because you might have very theological questions, so I'll hand all those over to him. Um, More practical questions I'm very happy to answer might also be that um, some of you feel moved to be prayed for, and we'd be very happy to do that too. So I don't think I'm going to talk for the whole half an hour. You'll be pleased to know. Whole hour, sorry. (laughs) I thought I'd divide the afternoon into three parts. The first bit is to really just to share my story, because everybody likes stories, don't they? They want to know the good and the bads and all the bits in between. So that's partly what I'm going to do. I'm also going to share some of the challenges that we've had setting up a ministry to the poor, and there have been plenty of those. So it's going to be a bit of a warts and all type thing. Um, And thirdly, I feel I want to really challenge people. I was very excited by Jeremy saying that in all the New Frontiers churches, there's an average of six works support going on, and I almost felt like, well, do I actually need to say anything then? Because obviously everybody's doing so many amazing things. But I do feel um, that my heart is something that I want to share with you this afternoon. And I have normally found when I speak on this topic, I get very moved at times. So if I cry, please forgive me. But also, it normally touches at least one or two individuals in the room that I'm speaking to. And if that is you, then I pray that God will speak clearly to you about your involvement Our government talks about a sick society, doesn't it? And Jeremy said last night in in one of his points that we're to be world invaders, to be shining lights into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. And I, I see around me 
in our sick society that we were talking about. It's not just a broken one. And it's so evident in the way that we sexually relate to one another. By that I mean I'm surrounded by um, huge loads of nightclubs down in Bournemouth. You see girls going to nightclubs in Bournemouth in far less clothes, far more sexually provocatively dressed than the street working girls that I also minister to in Bournemouth. I read of rising numbers of university students who use prostitution as a means to paying off student debt, and apparently that is increasing all the time, whether that's overt prostitution, whether it's lap dancing, pole dancing, or being an escort. I also hear about trafficked men, women, and children in increasing numbers into our cities and our towns. And then, of course, the whole use of alcohol and drugs to deal with the brokenness and despair. And then prostitution becomes an inevitable part of that. So part of my aim this afternoon is to challenge you. Jesus was criticized for being a friend of sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. And he even had a prostitute in his genealogy. So I believe God has a real heart for women and men and children even who are lost and broken in the world that we're in. So as you probably picked up, my heart is for sex workers. And I've just got a few statistics for you before I start. Um, If you want to challenge me where I get these statistics from, you're very welcome to ask me at the end. It's estimated that there are 80,000 people involved in prostitution in the UK. Up to 5,000 children may be involved at any one time, with a female-to-male ratio of 1 to 4. That's probably a conservative number, 80,000. More than half of women in prostitution have been raped or seriously assaulted, and at least 75% have been physically assaulted at the hands of pimps and punters. 74% of women in prostitution identify poverty, the need to pay household expenses and support their children as primary motivators for being drawn into prostitution. Up to 75% of women involved in prostitution began when they were under 18 years of age. And it's mostly teenage prostitutes who are out on our streets. This is estimated to be 10 times more dangerous than working from houses or flats. Women in prostitution are 18 times more likely to be murdered than the general population. And 70% of those involved in street prostitution have a history of local authority care. Nearly half report a history of childhood sexual abuse. So that kind of paints a picture for you. I'm part of something that we call street life, which aims to build a bridge of friendship to women caught in addiction and street prostitution to bring hope for change and support to do so. So to date, we have been involved with women who are out working the streets and who you would probably see and identify as thinking they're probably prostitutes. However... In the last few months, we've also begun to explore the possibility of reaching sex workers in a local sauna, a massage parlour, and a lap dancing club. And although these women probably wouldn't identify themselves as prostitutes, there's an element of that going on there too. I heard a 
um, Chief Inspector of the Metropolitan Police from London talking about massage parlours in the UK and he didn't reckon that really any of them were just massage parlours. There was always an element of sexual stuff going on as well. Why do I do it? Street life began following a trip to Mor Norwich in the year 2000 where I met an ex-magistrate who started the Magdalene Project due to the growing numbers of women and their families she encountered who were affected by prostitution in that town. During that time, in what we thought was just a sort of something to do on a Saturday morning, God spoke very clearly to me um, about being involved in a similar sort of thing down in Bournemouth. And as I said before, I'm a primary teacher, so I was very ill-equipped to A, even understand where some of these ladies were coming from, and B, I had no understanding of drug addiction or any of that sort of thing really at all at that time. Bournemouth, for those of you who know it, how many of you have been to Bournemouth? Nice, isn't it? It's a nice place. Lots of elderly people go there to retire. Loads of people go there to have holidays on our seven miles of sandy beaches. Um, but also it has a darker underbelly of being one of the highest densities of drug addiction in anywhere in the country, even though it's only in such a small um, geographical area. Huge amount of drug addiction and, of course, subsequently prostitution. We started by literally just coming and finding two or three other ladies who felt the same burden, and we started to pray together and then started a street outreach where we went out on a Friday night and took out hot drinks and chocolate and things to girls that we would meet on the streets. We met up with a lady who was from a secular agency called the Dorset Working Women's Project before we went out, and she said, you will take years to build up trust and for women to get to know you. But our experience was, if you went out with a smile and a bar of chocolate, and you actually approached some of these ladies and started talking, they unburdened themselves and chatted so quickly and so easily. So we didn't find that to be true. I want to read a verse for you in Revelation 5, verse 9, where it says, With your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And to me, I believe that those involved in prostitution, trafficking, sexual addictions, all those sort of things, are like a separate people group, but that God has people in that people group that he wants to save. And how are they going to know about the God that we love unless we actually go and reach out and touch these people? That's my challenge for you today. There are people there waiting to hear the gospel, waiting to, be, to respond and waiting to be saved. So how do we do what we do? Ten years down the road, we've built strong relationships with many of the women in Boscombe and Bournemouth. We go out onto the streets between 8 and 11 o'clock on a Friday night in our customised van, which has actually died at the moment, but we're in the process of getting another van. We take food bags, drinks and toiletries out with us with a view just to engaging in conversation, offering support where appropriate, or sometimes just being a listening ear. We very often have opportunities to pray with the girls and have seen many answers to prayer. Humbling things, like one lady had lost a birth certificate, got lost years ago, and we prayed about it and said, look, we believe God can provide you with a new one, and we helped her with all that and got it sorted. But we were able to say, look, this is a direct answer to prayer, which was so encouraging for her. 
We've helped with housing needs, um, not because we're housing experts, but we can signpost people to the right places where they can go and find out about housing. Drug rehabilitation, we take girls to drug appointments, doctor's appointments, hospital appointments. We go to court with them sometimes just as somebody to support them so they know somebody else is there, which also works very well. The magistrates, etc., are really pleased when they see that these women have got somebody who's supporting them in that way. And I've actually been a birthing partner too to one of the girls, which was something I've always longed to do. In another life, I'd like to be a midwife. And to be there and to hold her hand when she gave birth to her little son was an amazing experience. We have a small office and a sitting room, which is open two afternoons a week where women can access clothing, food, hot showers or use the phone. And we also visit women in their own homes if they have homes because quite a lot of them are homeless. We're a church-based project and we're affiliated to the National Christian Alliance on Prostitution. We have one part-time paid worker, which is myself. I lead the team, but the rest of them are volunteers. None of us are experts, whatever those are. We've learnt and trained along the way. I have a social worker, I have a nurse, I have people who are knowledgeable on my team, but none of us are specifically trained for the work that we do. We're funded by the church. Um, not all of the projects within NCAP certainly are funded by the local church. They normally try and get funding from other sources, but we are funded by our local church, which is wonderful. Um, and we have had a, our van was bought by Churches Together, the Incorporated Bournemouth Free Church Council. So we were able to get funding for that. Um, as I said earlier, we've taken advice recently on how best to access local strip clubs, etc., places like that. And we've made visits to a massage parlour, which was an extraordinary experience. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether anybody here has ever... No, maybe I shouldn't ask for that. <laughs> I won't ask that. Well, it was, it was a strange experience, but better still was going to visit our lap dancing club, um, which is actually going... It is, we're having a new church building built at the moment, and this big club is right next door to that club. So going and... You don't knock on the door, because there's actually a bouncer at the bottom of the stairs that leads up to this place. And we've been told the best thing you can do is befriend the bouncers on the doors. Was extremely taken aback when we went two Fridays ago, and the bouncer on the door was a person that used to come to our church, um, had been baptised not that long ago, but he was, he was a bouncer on the door. Um, he had a drug background as well, so that was interesting. But getting to know, he pulled, called the manager down, we got talking to him, we said we've got gifts to give to the girls here, we've got letters that say we're willing to offer like a chaplaincy service and pray for girls inside. And he just looked at the letter and went, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, He started off saying, it sounds really weird to me, Christians coming here. I said, it's not half as weird as you think. People do this all over the UK now and in America. They visit places like this. They get to know the girls. And, and if possible, we'd love to pray with them. And he was cool with that. It was just like, this is so weird. But we, we have yet to find out where that uh, will go and whether we will actually speak to the girls themselves. At the moment, we're just preparing the way. If you, if you start on this kind of journey, I'm sure... There are people in this room who are involved in all sorts of things. If you start on this journey, you're never actually quite sure where you're going to end up. 
and the kind of conversations and things that you hear, you think, you know, I was brought up in a Christian home. We talked about nice things in our house, and I'm hearing things that I'd really rather not hear. But God is an amazing God, isn't he? And he, you can just sense his heartbeat when you talk to some of the girls that we speak to. You think, you know, God has such a love for these people. And even though they're quite shocking in some of the things they say deliberately, I'm sure, you just know that God is with you, and it's amazing, really. People always ask me, so I'll... I'll stop you having to ask that question at the end what are your what are the results what are this is the fruit of your ministry and i would say for anybody who's thinking about doing anything like this it's small steps and lots of seeds sown um i'd love to say we've had lots and lots of success success stories but that wouldn't be true but we have had some we've had several women and their partners come to our church We had a Meet Jesus event at a local football ground where a lady and her partner came and she made a commitment to Jesus and so did he. And she died a few weeks later of psoriasis of the liver. And we just felt like, well, God was in that. The timing of that was just perfect. We're very encouraged. I'm afraid my knowledge of the north of England is quite poor, so please forgive me. Is Ipswich anywhere near here? Nowhere near. Okay. But you do know about the Ipswich murders, I'm sure, the six women that were killed who were prostitutes. I was speaking to the lady who does a similar work to me, who works up there, and she said every single one of those six women they had met, they knew by name, and had prayed with in the weeks leading up to their death. And I think, yes, yes, you see it as a a terrible story, and it is terrible, but God has his way of working in these situations. Um. So, yes, we do touch lives. We had a lady like that in Bournemouth. We've seen three of the ladies we know who've died. One was murdered, and we were able to pray with her a couple of weeks, literally, before she was murdered. This other lady who came and committed her life to Jesus, she died. So you see the horrible nature of the work that you're involved in, and yet the steps that God and the seeds that God sows into their lives... We see very small things as positive outcomes, I guess. Um, you make little steps, but you just, you, you, every time there's a small success. So this lady I was a birthing partner with, she came to church for a couple of times, and she came when one of our Indian friends was there, and she came to the front of the church and got prayed for, and she wept. And I've never seen her cry before. She's one of these tough, brittle types She'd never cried before, and she said to me at the end, I don't know what was going on there. It was really scary, and I think of all, all her life, and yet that was something that was really scary to her. And I think as well, when you talk about progress, it's little steps. It's letting people go. It's seeing them come back. This particular individual, I've known her for 10 years, um, a huge sense of humor. I love her, actually. She describes me as her second mum because her own mum died recently, But I don't see her for months, and then she comes back, and then she goes, and she comes back. But I just think you're in this for the long haul. You you can't expect immediate answers. Sometimes there are, but my experience is it is the long haul that you're looking at. I'll just read you a couple of quotes from letters that the girls have written to us. They don't often do this, and I read it as they've written because it's not always grammatically brilliant. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you and everybody your end who's given me such fantastic help and support. If it were not for you, I would not be where I am today. 
You gave me hope that I could get through that dark period of my life and make plans for the future as well as being there for my children. This lady is now drug-free, rehoused and back in contact with her two children. She's back in adult education and doing well on computer courses, etc. in Birmingham. Another girl wrote who was an ex-ballet dancer of all things but was down on her luck taking drugs and on the streets. I've been grateful to have the pleasure of your presence. I'm so in touch with my inner emotions and feelings during and after our meets. I've left in tears, tears of joy and a little sad. Thank you for the prayers you promised to remember me in. I need them. So although we haven't seen massive fruit, as I say, we take every bit of encouragement as a real blessing from God. I want to talk briefly about the challenges, again, and a congregation audience like this, I don't know whether I'm talking to people who are already involved in church projects or I'm talking to people who are thinking maybe we could start one. But I'll just give you a few pointers that have been our biggest challenges. You need to follow a vision, which kind of implies that you need a vision to start off with. I met with a couple of ladies in our church and we prayed and shared out ideas and worked out a vision and how we were going to do it. I think you need to condense in a sentence what it is you're hoping to achieve and then work backwards. How are you going to achieve it? What resources do you need? People, funding, building, equipment. What time constraints do you have? Will you have volunteers? Will they be paid workers? Do you need to visit other projects to get inspiration and help? I've been so encouraged. I visited Bedford, the King's Arms Project, spent a day with people there. I also went to Catford and spent time with the chap there. Um, Simon Allen, you need to see other people who are doing things to be inspired and motivated and to ask all the questions you need to ask. And in that, I would also say get some training. Uh, There's an awful lot of training out there, free training for people who want to work with people with drug problems. Just get as equipped as you can. Read as much as you can. Read books that inspire, read books that instruct. And I'll give you a few um, ideas of books at the end. The second challenge, I would say, is leading a team and building a team. That's certainly been one of my challenges. You do need a a clear, God-given leader, and you do need committed, submitted, enthusiastic, humble volunteers who, very importantly, can work as a team. I've had volunteers who are very individual and who go off and make their own decisions about things. You don't need people like that, may I? hesitate to say but you do you need people who can work in a team submit to your leadership even if you don't always know all the answers but that you work together rather than individuals you also need um, good practice guides I would say Um, I was very uh, blessed in the early days by being part of this NCAP that I talked about who can help you with all the policies you need risk assessments things like that we're looking at that all again because working on the streets is very different from being asked to go into a lap dancing club. You've got to think about a whole new set of problems, what you're going to do if there's any problems there. So make sure you've got your good practice, your policies all in place and things like that as well. I think the third challenge is you need an incredible dose of perseverance. The ability to press on, the ability to deal with discouragement, the ability to have all the boring bits because I get a lot of people who say, oh, we'd really like to come and help. But the reality is sometimes you have a Friday where you don't see anybody 
And I can see they look at me and think, what is it that Heather does? Is there really anybody out here like this? There are boring bits as well as the exciting bits. Um, and you need people who are in it for the long haul. I say to my volunteers, I need at least a commitment of a year. And I need you to try, if possible, to be there three and four times because you're building relationships with the girls and you can't go one week and then not go for another five because they don't know who you are. So you build up a real friendship and rapport and different people relate to different people. I've got people that I would say I, I love, girls on the streets that I love and I love to spend time with and see and other people click with other people. So you really need that persevering, I'm in it for the long haul type of thing. You need a team who are good encouragers, and as a leader of a team, you need to be highly encouraging. I have Fridays, as I said, I've been doing it for nearly 10 years, where you think, oh, this is the last thing I need to do on a Friday. I feel so tired. It's the end of the week. And I say to guys sometimes, oh, I just haven't got the energy. And he said, you know, you need to encourage yourself in God, and you need to get out there and encourage them. And that's so true. Um, and if you're not encouraging as the leader, then the whole team goes down the tube. So you need good encouragers. Next point, you need to not get stuck in your ways. Um, you need to constantly be trying new things. You need to be constantly asking God for new initiatives and new ideas. You need to have evenings sometimes where you might have somebody who's highly prophetic to come along and pray with each team member. Guy came recently and he saw a picture of three cranes. As I said, our work has really been specifically to girls on the streets, but... Uh, there are less and less of women doing that, and that's a national thing, not just a local thing. More and more people are going off streets, and if they're off streets, how do you find them? Guy had a picture of three cranes, one which was doing what we already do. The second thing was work, working to women who are trafficked. We've yet to find who those are, but the third thing was to look at the off-street sex industry, and I think as we do that, we'll find we possibly... Um, reach people who are being trafficked as well, which again is a, another huge issue. Next challenge, work with other agencies. Don't duplicate. And at, on this point, I think it's very important as Christians to keep the gospel central to what we do. It's very easy to get sucked into being people who provide food or all these other things. And they're important. They really are important. But unless we keep the gospel central to what we do, we're not actually doing anything very different from anybody else. So you're constantly looking for God to break in. You're constantly looking for opportunities to pray and uh, pray with, with the women. We, we like to think, what is our unique contribution as a Christian group in this area in Bournemouth? And we believe our unique contribution is the gospel and the fact that we can pray. We're not highly skilled, as I said, but we can pray for people. Next point, I would say another huge challenge, I don't know whether any of you have found this, is working with other churches. And this can be really, really difficult. We've had an influx in the last year, I would say, of other people who are from other church groups, church charities, etc., coming to Bournemouth. Bournemouth is very, very well catered for, for being homeless and in addiction. I think on one Friday, I worked out there were six of our volunteers. We had a drop-in centre down the road that had three volunteers down there. We had a group of people called the Street Angels who had three people. They were out. And then there was another group from Teen Challenge who just started. And they have over 30 people who are volunteers who go out on the streets on a Friday night. And I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> 
I think we saw two people that night, and I thought there's all these Christians all roaring around Boscombe trying to change the world. Challenging to work with other churches. Uh, it is successful with some and less successful with others. With one of the groups, I said to them, please don't go out on a Friday, but they are going out on a Friday. So you just have to kind of live with that. But it's difficult, I tell you, really difficult. Uh, next challenge, keeping your own church on board and making sure your ministry is integrated into church life. I think with something like this, so many people can think, oh, this is just for specialists. This is for, oh, that's for that group over there. We don't have to do anything to do with this. Um, so sharing testimonies of things that happen on a Friday night, sending prayer letters, including the body in practical help, um, and especially having an elder that you're accountable to, prayer breakfasts, letting new people come, even if they're not going to be volunteers, just to look and see what you're doing. You need to keep your church on board. You don't want to just be seen as something isolated that's nothing to do with everything else. And lastly, on challenges, not becoming cynical. I have to pray quite regularly, Lord, keep my heart soft and let me approach the girls as if it's the first time I've met them. Let me forgive them easily. Let me keep no record of wrongs. But let me be wise as a serpent and harmless as doves. You will be ripped off. You will be manipulated. You will be abused. You will even have things stolen from you. I remember one lady coming into our church office. The whole office was full of people. I mean, there were people everywhere. And I suddenly said, where's my handbag? Where's my purse? And she had managed under the noses of everybody to get my purse take it to the toilets, ransack the contents. She didn't know that I never have more than about 50p in my purse, but there we go. Um, and put the purse into a towel dispenser and gone out the door. Denied it vehemently. And I said, do you know where my purse is? I mean, she just said, she went mad. She swore at me. She said, do you think I would do that? Do you think I'd come in here and steal your money? And then meeting her again a few weeks later and treating her as if, actually, this is like the first time I've met you. I'm not going to have a record of wrongs. I did say to her, I know what you did, and it's okay. I forgive you. She didn't say much. Uh, it's just the nature of the animal, really. Well, you know what I mean when I say animal. Okay, what does this mean for you? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It has such sobering, interesting verses in it. This is one of them. It says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. And I'm a firm believer in whatever your hands finds to do, to do it with all your might. And for me, that means doing what I do and do it passionately. And I just want to challenge you to think about the poor who are around you. It is so easy to just think about them as the homeless people. We've got dozens of people who are involved in soup kitchens and I think they're fantastic I'm not against what they do but our people in Bournemouth can almost decide where they want to have their Christmas dinner or whether they want to go here or there for Saturday evening meals on the streets and I think there are the poor covers a huge section it's not just people in soup kitchens it's not just the homeless people and I would say if you feel that God has spoken to you about the poor, which, let's face it, there have been so many talks where we're impacted by the church being involved with people who are poor. Think broadly. I'm very moved by the plight of elderly folk in our towns, people who can't get out. 
people in our own neighbourhoods who maybe can't get out, who are struggling with a partner with Alzheimer's or whatever, those sort of people need our help. The single mums, every time I go into Boscombe, I see loads of single mums with their kids. And my heart breaks because I believe so firmly that kids, all being well, need a mum and a dad. And the fatherless kids are just everywhere in our society. What are we doing? And I think even with our toddler groups, I, look, I used to run a toddler group in Winchester. It was a super one. But it generally had middle-class mums that came to it. It didn't have single mums. What are we doing for single mums in our society? How are we integrating them, seeing them saved, seeing their kids fathered, even if they haven't got biological fathers, but by fathers in our church? What about the young unemployed? I know there are areas in Bournemouth, I'm sure there are where you, where there are crowds of young unemployed lads and girls gang members, what are we doing about them? And I just think we need each one of us to ask God to open our eyes to the needs of those around us and not just just see the homeless or just see those in soup kitchens. The next question I would ask is, what is your church doing at the moment? And I think anything that you want to or you feel burdened about, I would encourage you to submit it to Eldership Vision and let them test your calling. Your eldership team must support what you're doing and release you to do what you're doing and empower you to do what you're doing and feel that what you're doing is valid and fits in with all the other things in the church too. I think the next... Oh, I've got a, just a couple of points more to say. What is going on already round about where you are? Because I think so often as Christians, and this is what I've found difficult with this latest thing, is that people feel a burden, they pile in, they trample over everybody who's doing something already without any consideration that they might have been doing something valid. And if we're not careful, we can do exactly the same. So I think you need to do some research. You need to find out what other churches are doing, other agencies are doing. And I think if you have a humble approach in the long run, I think it bears fruit. If you just come in all arrogant and we're Christians and we're, we're taking the world by storm, you rub so many people up the wrong way. It's really not very helpful. I think pray. I mean, that seems the most basic thing of all. Pray isn't like, prayer isn't like the work. Prayer is the work. You need to pray alone. You need to pray with like-minded individuals. You need to pray with your spouse. You need to pray with your leaders. And be open to God's leading. If somebody had told me 12 years ago I would be involved in a work with prostitutes, I would have been mind blown. <laughs> but God can lead in the most strange places. And I think even now, possibly, people might be thinking, wow, there's something in this for me. I need to do something about this. And be informed or become informed. I'm such a believer in reading, and I'm still amazed how many Christians don't read not just their Bibles or anything else very much. Read, learn and train. Um, I've just got a couple of recommendations. If you're thinking about doing something to do with sex work, um, Working the Streets by Rob and Marion Carson is an incredibly practical book about how to do it. It was invaluable and we use it as part of our training for street life. Low Cost, High Price by Teresa Cumbers and Martin Down is the lady I talked about at the beginning from the Magdalene Project and tells the history of her setting up her project. And When Helping Hurts by John Perkins, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickett is another book 
that is so, so helpful. If you want to do anything with hurting people, that is such a good book to read. And it, it takes away this, I'm the saviour of the world and I must do something to help these poor people. It challenges that very attitude that can be in our hearts. And finally, um, in the birth of our project, and many times over the years, we found the NCAP, National Christian Alliance Against Prostitution, or as it's now called, Beyond the Streets, Invaluable. They've helped us with setting up ongoing training, an annual conference, policy making, legislation, national news, everything like that. So do find their website if it's something that you're interested in. And that's all I have to say in terms of what I have prepared. So, Guy, please come up and stand beside me because I'm just going to open it up for questions. Normally when you say questions, everybody goes like dead, don't they? But there's probably somebody who's got some questions. If not, we'll pray. And here we go. Go on. I think this might be a cop-out. I don't personally think I'm a particularly political animal. I think I am a very practical person. Um, Having said that, there have been occasions when I've got particularly riled about things and I've written to my local MP and I've been down to housing. When I feel like people are being unjustly treated because they're categorised so often... And, like, we don't have to do anything with them because they can't make a fuss because they're not, you know, that sort of thing. I find, the injustice of things I find I get very motivated on. But I certainly think there is a place for people to get involved in those kind of... And we've got lots of people in our church who are in all sorts of areas. Um, so I tend to talk to them and refer things to them. I don't know if that makes any sense. I think the spectrum of how we describe the poor is obviously needs to be expanded to be much wider than Heather's, Heather's dis- describing this afternoon, a very narrow little uh, section of what we might say is the poor. I think advocacy for those who have no voice, those people who feel called into politics, uh, we have a number within New Frontiers at the very highest level, actually affecting the very policies uh, that are being made by this present government. There are some outstanding Christian men and women who are advocating for social changes, for government change, legislation changes. And so I think when you hear a message like this, it's very important to think actually the asylum seeker, those people who have no voice, those people who have been displaced right around the world, what does it mean about our responsibility to East Africa? We mustn't be too narrow, but we must equip the church. And, and local churches are the most powerful agencies on earth. And if you can equip the local church to say, actually, our contribution is, and if uh, Sue Linden's right, working with Martin Charlesworth, every project, every church has four, five, six works amongst the poor, the elderly, the young mums, what have you, we will change society. And and I think it's very important on a a little session like this to think a very wide uh, spectrum of, of what it means to be poor.
the question was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that you'd heard that there was an alpha course that was run specifically for people with addiction, um, and have I thought about using it? Um, Just to say... I ran an alpha course. I mean, we're not very early days. I ran an alpha course, one of the very first ones we done in Winchester Prison. And I put on the video, and uh, at the end of it, I said, any questions? And the first question was, I didn't understand a word that bloke said. Um, I, so you've got to find, you know, in terms of the alpha material even, you've got to connect with the people you're trying to connect with in terms of the resources and materials and making sure it's not just you import something that you think will work right across the board when sometimes it doesn't. Alpha actually changed its materials and has done phenomenally well in prisons, for instance. They've got their own material. I personally haven't heard of the specific material. I know in our church, and I know Simon Allen said to me this, that when they run an Alpha course and when we run our course, which is called Why Jesus, we put people with addiction problems on the same table together, not because we want to segregate them, but because they tend to ask the sort of questions that if you have nice middle-class people there as well who might be shocked when they say, well, you know, I came out of prison last week and I just didn't know what to do when I... whatever that doesn't translate that well to some other groups of people. So we do keep them on a table and with people who can relate to them well. I don't know whether that helps. A very good question. Personal safety and working with other agencies when going into lap dancing and clubs and things like that. As part of NCAP, it's a fairly new um, approach for people within NCAP, but I know that they're looking at it and they're looking at particular policies. I've spent a lot of time with a lady called Estelle who's in the Salvation Army and works in King's Cross in London, and she does it a lot. And she has given us some guidelines with the most basic things on, like when she goes into somewhere, she'll say, where is the fire escape? So that she knows if she needs to get out quick, she can. She has things like if she's in there for over a certain amount of time, somebody will always phone her because there'll always be somebody waiting outside to say, look, she knows that within 15 minutes, say, that the person will phone and say, look, are you okay? Which can be code for, oh, sorry, the phone's gone, I've got to go kind of thing. So there are practices that we put in place. The most fundamental for me is I'm not going to go in anywhere till I've told the local police the places that we're going into. We did that when we started Street Life. We spoke to the local police and their biggest concern was not what we were doing, but the safety of our volunteers who are doing it. So we will look at risk assessments and things like that very, very closely. Um, I'm not aware of lots of people who are going into these places, but I think they are out there. And I have read books about it. Um, we will do it as carefully as we possibly can. That's with traffic women, isn't it? We've got, we've got a networking group in Bournemouth that isn't set, wasn't set up by me, but is set up with people, 
um, anybody who's working to do with anything in the sex industry. So there are people who are working um, with legislation for traffic women. There's somebody else who's writing material for Eastern Europeans to take over and give to them as like training material. So we're part of a network. So I'm aware that I'm going to draw on other people's resources. Yeah. Magdalene says we're, that they're involved with prostitution and those affected by prostitution, which is obviously pimps, husbands, boyfriends, families, children. Um, and although we don't specifically target the men, obviously that's part of the package as well. When it comes to the clubs and going into places like that, we've, we, as I said, we were told, make friends with the people on the door. If you can get the management on your side, you will find it very easy to access. Um, we've, we've really yet to keep going with that one so we don't really know we haven't had a huge amount of hassle ever from people we, I have only once ever felt slightly unsafe on the streets having said that we have protocols so if a girl is with a punter we don't approach her if a girl is with her boyfriend we generally wouldn't approach her we approach her on her own on her own but where we can we try and avoid uh, include the men as well so if we're giving out food bags and there's obviously a guy hanging around too we say oh would you like one and but it opens up a different set of problems. But we haven't had any highly risky situations. Um, do you ever find that uh, weighing up, <clears throat> is it better not reporting illegal activity? Is that the best way to love the girl? Or um, but where does that maybe compromise your integrity, keeping the law yourself and reporting crime and illegal activity? It's a very good question, actually. Because, to be honest, everything they're doing is illegal. <laughs> Prostitution actually isn't illegal, but curb crawling and soliciting is exchanging and buying drugs is illegal um so we are it's a tricky one when it comes to anything to do with child protection we're very very clear on that um that we if we have any concerns we always report them having said that it doesn't happen that often because children aren't normally with their parents we have had to do that a couple of times with some home visits that we've done if we're ever aware that there's uh situations that might endanger girls so one girl came to us I mean, just beside herself, terrified because of a man that was uh, a drug dealer who was hurting her and, and had made her boyfriend pass out and was just awful. So we did report that. Um, we tend not to give names unless they specifically ask for names. And we always encourage girls if they've been hurt or raped, because that happens quite frequently or just physically abused to report those incidents to the police and to help them with that if they're, if they're unsure of doing that themselves. But if you go around with your eyes open in a place like Boscombe, I'm sure it's the same in your cities, you see drugs being exchanged, you see deals being set up, you see that sort of thing going on all the time. Um, and to be honest, if you phone the police, they're not incredibly interested in individual events I think having said that, if we knew that there was a particular a crack den or a 
crack house or something like that, we would report it. But you're kind of part of a big network and you're hoping that your picture will build up a whole picture. But the, the police know and the girls know that what they tell us, they tell us in confidence. But I did say to this girl whose birthing partner I was, I said, you know, I will... Um, keep your stuff in confidence. She said, oh, yeah, 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 I know you will. I said, but if you told me something like you'd murdered somebody, I would report it. And she, she looked quite shocked. But I said, you know, I, I will keep things in confidence, but not if it's endangering other people. Or Does that help? I think that's a very, very good question because I think you, we want to uphold the law. We want to transform society. We believe in the police. We want to empower the police to do their job. Heather, her team, keep the local authorities right across the spectrum, police and social services, completely informed in what they're doing, following their lead. Drugs is a part of the lifestyle of these girls. The police know all about it. So you have to work with those agencies. And where there is a hard call to be made, you discover there's activity that uh, is endangering lives. There is a way that these people can, this team can operate to uphold the law and bring in other agencies, but at the same time trying to build this relationship so you're not a blab to these girls as soon as they start to open up their lifestyles. They've got a pimp. They've got others that are involved in this. Just building that bridge so these girls feel there's a secure place without getting into too much immediately. Oh, this is so shocking. I need to go and tell somebody else who might breach the whole confidentiality thing. Time is nearly out. One more question, or is, is that it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if you are working with uh, a girl who's willing to deal with addiction, do you point to another agency or do you interact with um, The easiest answer to that is we always direct them to somebody else. We seek to work with existing drug agencies, so we would find out what you're doing at the moment. And often... Although they might present saying, you know, I'm fed up with this, I want to change my life, I want to stop taking drugs, you discover when you start unpacking it that they've visited all sorts of different agencies in the town. So I would contact other agencies. I would also contact the lady who works for the Dorset Working Women's Project because that's her job to say, look, this, there is this individual, how can you help her? We've also attempted several times to get people into Christian rehabs. We've never succeeded so far but that potential is always there. It's not that there's not the places, it's just getting the girls to that place. But yeah, we always do. No, we haven't got into the Jackie Pullinger style, but I wish we could, but we haven't yet. We do help, I mean, outside of the girls, we help a lot of people out of addiction as a church. So we do have our own house. We do have people who come through addictions. And you would come to Citygate Church in Bournemouth. You'd meet a lot of people who are now married, some who have got children, who five, six, seven, eight years ago were uh, addicts on the street. So we have, a, have a, a bit of a record and a bit of a reputation. If you speak to the, the prostitutes on the street, they know our church is the recovery church. If you want to get well, uh, go along there. You won't be judged and you'll be made welcome. Uh, we also have a huge amount of failures as well as the few successes. So that, that's the honest answer. Yeah, I think uh, it's 5-2. I think we'll call it a day. Thank you ever so much for being here. What I would, if you would love to have prayer, particularly, I mean, you know, many of you will be involved in fantastic projects and maybe you'd want to come and share and chat to Heather about what you're involved with, everything else. Rather than do that, can I suggest if you would like prayer, uh, you're just saying, actually, 
One, I'm, I'm thinking, I felt stirred as Heather spoke. Heather, when she heard uh, this uh, lady share about prostitution, we've had no, we've, we're quite middle class background, no involvement at all with anything like this. Uh, Heather started to cry. It was, a, it was a moment in God that God just broke her heart and things have never been the same in our family since. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. So, so there'll be a few of you I know that will be thinking, actually, I just feel God's touching my heart in this area. I don't know what it's going to mean. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're just starting out a little bit and you're thinking, I just need some encouragement and you'd love some prayer. Again, we'd love to pray with you. But other than that, let's just pray and then you're released to walk through the mud to find a cup of tea. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you care for the poor. Thank you, Lord, when you began your earthly ministry, you said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and he's anointing me to preach good news to the poor. And Lord, thank you for New Frontiers. Thank you. We are churches that do do this. It's not theory today. This is one aspect of many hundreds of stories to be told right across the wonderful churches we represent. Lord, I believe in this place today you're just touching one or two hearts. You want to break hearts, Lord, because you ache to see communities, living communities, the church, reaching out to touch the poor and needy. And I pray for those individuals today. I pray, God, would you just show them clearly? Would you expand them? Would they just come into a place of of your calling, your clear vision? And, uh, Lord, lead them very clearly, submitted to eldership, but working out your call on their life. And, Lord, for the many in this room who are working amongst the poor, I pray God encourage them. Lord, let us see success in the nation which is broken, which is sick. Let us see healing. Let us see deliverance. Lord, let us see the addicts making their way into recovery. Let us see, Lord, those who are single mums making their way into the community of the church where they can find love and acceptance. God, I pray, encourage everybody as they come in on a rainy day like today, just feeling, God, it's such hard work. I pray, God of all encouragement, give your strength, give your encouragement. Lord, let them go from here saying, I am about a good work like Nehemiah. I did and I will not come down. God grant that steadfastness to our spirits, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, and if you'd like some prayer, just come, come and seek us.